Tonight is one of the evenings when the words float through my mind that say, before you speak, consider whether your words will be an improvement on the silence. (laughs) And whenever those words go through my mind, it... Uh renders me, at least for a few moments, speechless. <laughs> because if, as we sit for 40, 45 minutes, silently together, uh, at least for me and hopefully for you, there's a, a, a deeper appreciation of that beloved expression, silence is golden. It is um, such a beautiful and rare thing in this world of intense busyness and uh, excessive um, use of technology, etc., etc. You hear it all every Tuesday and every day in your life. You probably think about it. But for whatever reason, uh, silence is golden yet so neglected. It is just so overlooked. And yet silence is so um, deeply uh, healing and it is experienced as, it's not just an idea, it's experienced as if one is to stop and keep quiet is experienced as the deepest part of yourself. The, your heart, and the heart within the heart is silent. That which animates this whole mind-body process, it comes from, it emerges from silence and everything returns to silence. Every sound appears in silence and then returns. Every sight, every smell, every, every sense experience emerges, it, it is reflected, and then it, it falls away and, it, and things fall back into quiescence, into, into stillness, into quiet. So given that this silence is the you could call it the place that everything returns to. We can perhaps recognize that, and it is so central to our our nature. Right now, before you can think, what do you experience? What's, What's in your mind after your last thought has stopped and before the next one has come? Silence, for the most part. Of course, then a thought arises. And if that thought's noticed, it appears, it disappears, and silence again. If it goes unnoticed, that thought may spread into uh, ordinary thinking, into a whole chain of association. And then for a time, our mind and our body may get very busy and chaotic, but then eventually it fades away 
And then we're back in silence. Those of you who meditate choose to make this silence important. But often this, this return to silence or appreciation of silence, of going to silence, is uh, saved for formal periods. Tuesday night, whenever your daily practice at your special spot in your house, which I highly recommend, place that, that you, dr- you drop in. But it's easy to forget that that silence is available for you. You can drop in anywhere, anytime. That silence follows you. As they'd say in the Hindu tradition, nearer than near, nearer than the breath itself. And when we give attention to that, when I give attention to that, when you give attention to that, not just during the formal practice periods, but in the informal periods. The body is calmed, and everybody wants that. The, the thinking mind begins to settle. There is a harmony, there's a harmonization of mind and body that happens. In some ways, it's a natural byproduct of just listening. Just noticing. It is the it is appreciation of silence is just a wonderful way to embrace everything that is occurring in real time. So right now from the silence of your own, you could call it your own observation or your own noticing, just notice. Look around. Tonight during the sitting, in between the silences, I was thinking. And what often comes into my mind are the poems or passages that I've repeated over and over again. And tonight's was uh, the the poem by, uh, I think its name is David Budbill, or it's called Bugs in a Bowl. He says, we're all just like bugs in a bowl, all day going around our bowl, climbing up the steep, si- steep side, sliding back down, going up, coming down, crying, moaning, feeling sorry for ourselves, uh, again and again and again. And he says, in his poem, he says, uh, Stop. Look around. See your fellow bugs. Say, Hi. How you doing? Say, Nice bowl. Now that's the, the light-hearted version of Look around. See your fellow bugs. The Dharma version of silently looking around and seeing your fellow bugs, because we're always observing from silence. 
just going to put that out, don't believe me, check it out. But to silently look out in this world, look in the inner world, doing it with silence. What we see, if our eyes are open, see our fellow bugs, is we see, we see kaleidoscope of differences. We see pain. You know, if we, could, if we really looked at the people in the grocery store, and of course it would be much easier if we could see the little broadcast of what was going on in their minds or, or their stories, what's going on in their lives, you'd see a, a, an array of some pleasurable things happen, some really painful things happen in every single person's life. But we're so much like bugs in a bowl, going around, spinning around in our whirlwind, we don't really see. We don't really silently observe our fellow bugs. And because of that, we are not used to observing, resonating with, taking in, caring about, especially all of the unpleasantness that is part of our life, what the Buddha called dukkha, that which is hard to bear. An example of this showed up in my um, email box today. Of this, and I call it, I, my mind immediately went to the um, expression, not in my neighborhood. Near my daughter's school, there is a, there's going to be a uh, homeless shelter that uh, as is being opened. And this announcement that there was a homeless shelter being built or opened in this area immediately brought this flood of, of emails about what an alarming thing this is, that a homeless shelter is being... And then... Finally, somewhere along the line, somebody in this email chain said, look at the reaction. Look at how the automatic fear, automatic worry, automatic associations of... And this, they didn't elaborate it this much, but automatic associations to something dangerous, bad... Painful, scary, whatever, whatever it was, and I looked at that, and that's human nature. It's even built into our brain to have an aversive reaction to something that has unpleasant associations. It's there's even it's been studied what actually happens in our in our brain. But the Dharma asks us to go against that stream of deeply conditioned habit of turning away, being unwilling and unable to be with anything that has an unpleasant association. Because what happens if we were to be able to say, if we were silently being able, be able to say, oh, I see this email. And let's say I'm conditioned to have some kinds of negative associations with the idea of a, a homeless shelter next to, next to school. If I were to be able to notice that silently, 
feel the unpleasantness of that. Hover for a little while. Take in the fact that this conditioning has arisen. Then that experience of unpleasantness and that conditioning would not lead to a big drama. It wouldn't lead to an outpouring of emails and alarm bells and calling all the troops. It would lead more likely to a, a reflection or some kind of caring or some kind of, of, of compassion for the fact that there are, there are there's such a range of conditions that people live in. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't proliferate, it wouldn't become complicated into this, this uh, immediately experienced problematic um, issue. So this is just one example of, of, of thousands every day where something unpleasant crosses our path. And because we don't have the, the habit of meeting the unpleasant with silent, interested, relaxed, caring attention, what starts out as unpleasantness what the Buddha called Vedana, the valence of unpleasantness, leads very quickly into reaction of aversion. Aversion creates a sense of inner tension, and that inner tension is followed by a, a stream of, of uh, thoughts and plans and um, and. In, within that stream of reactions and plans, there is the, the center of all of that is the story of me and mine. What does it mean about me? What is going to happen to me? Does this resonate with you at all? And once we've entered into what does this have to do with me, this is all about me and mine, my family, my daughter, my son, my school. Once it proliferates into that, we call that proliferation, that complication that ensues in the face of something unpleasant, we call that complication papancha. There's a kind of effusion of thoughts that take us completely away from the intimate, silent, connecting with the reality of that experience, whether it was somebody we saw uh, on the street, whether it was uh, someone who cut you off in traffic, whatever it was, our mind immediately goes into, what does it mean about me? And once it goes into the me and mine story, then we start uh, othering. It's about me and them, us and them. And this is how the whole proliferation of, of um, our political divide, our social divide, our racial divide, our, you know, all the different cultural divides. It's all about this habit of mind to um, not to be able to accommodate uh, differences that produce an unpleasant feeling. So the teachings say, instead of 
instead of hiding yourselves away in reaction and then putting yourselves putting yourself in the prison of your own internal drama internal dialogue at work or in your in your relationships instead turn the other way look around look at your fellow bug if you're in relationship really look at them and let all the unpleasant associations that may arise with that person or that situation let it run let it let it work you let it tenderize your heart i always think of that poem from hafez and i forgive me for those who can't who who've heard it too many times here but this it's called absolutely clear and hafez says don't surrender your loneliness so he's talking about the feeling of loneliness but it could be any feeling he says don't surrender your loneliness so quickly let it cut more deep let it ferment and season you as few human or divine ingredients can and then the poem culminates by saying something missing in my heart has made my eyes so soft my voice so tender my need of the divine absolutely clear which means i start to if i really feel with pain with unpleasantness i keep my eyes open look at my fellow bugs then it it can only lead to this soft eyes and tender voice uh, a caring and then it's not enough just to care we can all be armchair bodhisattvas but then it's if you can in your life do something help respond to pain where you see it that's what the the teachings are about that the quivering the heart of the heart that leads to action I was on the phone with my with my wife, my partner, and what went through her mind was, "Oh, wouldn't it be cool for the kids to go and connect with with the people and you know, not to get into this, oh, I'm lucky and you're not for the, with the homeless shelter, but to actually go and see what they need, um entertain them if they would like some entertainment." Uh let them really look at their fellow bugs instead of not in my neighborhood so we this not in my neighborhood conditioning is very strong because we're not used to being with the unpleasant vedna unpleasant feeling and we're actually not used to being with the pleasant feeling either when we have pleasant feeling we just get caught in in reacting to it with craving and wanting more just like tonight i i felt the pleasant vedna of of being drenched in the silence of sitting with all of you and i wanted more of it and it's okay if you notice you want more of it that's not a problem but if you just get carried away i'm a oh i'm next week i'm going to extend the sitting 15 minutes <laughs> we need more half day longs and more day longs and more retreat 
then I've completely gotten into me and my and how and disconnected from the flow of life and my fellow bugs that I'm sitting with right now and loving and and enjoying and I'm I'm off on a new a new a new desire that will never be fulfilled because I've lost track with the only place that I can experience any fulfillment and that's right where I am the very source of of that deepest nourishment is this is just recognizing the silence that in the heart right now and not postponing this for one moment I always think of the teacher Nisargadatta where he says nothing can make you happier than you are you know in that deepest sense that all search for happiness is misery and leads to more misery. That the only search worth that name, or the only happiness worth that name, is, is the happiness that comes from being conscious, being aware. And letting, the, letting that awareness, letting that silent noticing, letting, the, letting our heart break. Day by day. Say, yes, in my neighborhood. You too. Everything, everything, everything. Come in. That doesn't mean to be, to be um, ignorant, though. Sometimes we are, there is danger. Sometimes we do need to protect ourselves. It's not to be, a, it's to be simple, not a simpleton. But we can, we can spend... Uh, we can do. We could practice a little bit more connecting and sustaining. Practice a little more silence. Any of you think you need a little more silence in your life? A little more moment-to-moment practice. A little less preoccupation with your internal drama. Anybody relate to that? Well, as um, Mark Morford says, or he alludes to it. We're making this much more difficult with our preoccupation with our technology. I'll read this. It's been a few months, so it's time to revisit this. This is Mark Morford's blog entitled, Hurry Up, Get More Done, and Die. <laughs> this may take a few minutes to read, but it's, I think it's worth it. Your terrifying word of the day is microtasking, and it comes by way of a relatively humble, ostensibly helpful article I read via one of those perky little DIY blogs that exist to tell you a million ways to tweak and hack your entire existence to gain maximum productivity, efficiency, and improved overall time management. Because, well, if that's not the true meaning of, the man- of this manic American life, what is? The advice was horrifyingly simple. When you find yourself pausing in between normal projects and work tasks for anything more than, say, 30 seconds, why not take those tiny moments and, well, do more things? I mean, you're just sort of sitting there, right? What sort of things? First things, fast things, little things, otherwise inconsequential things that you don't care about otherwise. 
like clearing your junk mail, refilling the stapler, changing your voicemail message, retweeting someone's Twitter blip, or giving a momentary damn about something you need not give a damn about otherwise. But hey, what else are you going to do? Breathe? Feel? Merely exist? What are you, a hippie? It's a fascinating and, yes, terrifying idea, really, that if you could just maximize your output a little more, if you could cram into all open white space another thing to do, wow, think of all you could get done by the end of the day. Think of how much you could get checked off your list. We are, by and large, utterly terrified of silence, stillness, spaciousness, the doing of nothing so as to feel the totality of everything. Meditation for, the, for most is disquieting and strange. Deep quiet feels weird and dangerous, a void aching to be filled. The internet has us convinced that the world is a roaring fire hose of urgent information, and if you can't swallow it all, well, something must be wrong with you. In any 48-hour period in 2010, says a stunning bit I just read in The Atlantic by way of the entrepreneur Yuri Milner, more data was created than had been created by all of humanity in the past 30,000 years. By year 2020, the same amount of data will be created in a single hour. Go ahead, swallow hard. It is no longer possible to sit quietly on the park bench without checking your Facebook feed, chatting with Siri, and waving to the CCTV cameras. It is no longer possible to be astonished at the wonder of your foot, footfalls along the forest path and not feel the urge to check email, find the nearest Starbucks, hipstamatic the hell out of that beautiful fallen tree. You cannot just sit in your car along a quiet country road without the GPS beeping that you took a wrong turn as OnStar politely blows up your car. <laughs> How easily we forget. Time expands, time contracts. Work will swell or diminish to fill a given space. You can do ten things in an hour or one thing in ten. You can go to Spirit Rock Meditation Center for two solid weeks and do absolutely nothing but wander the grounds in silence for 12 hours a day and time will look at you like you're utterly insane as your breath and body thank you for all eternity. You can conversely microtask until your heart implodes and time merely will laugh and snort and find someone else to destroy. So... So in the midst of this, there is always available, near the near, silence. And that silence, if you can connect with it, will also, almost instantaneously, you will find your body. And if you find your body, you'll find your heart. And that's what we long for anyway, to be settled, to have our minds settled into our hearts. Not to have our minds spinning out on me and mine all day. What's wrong with me? When am I going to get it? When am I going to get rid of it? When am I going to get her, get him, get rid of him, get rid of her? <laughs> me, me, me. My, my, my. 
And in Yiddish, it's oi, oi, oi. So Rabbi Hillel says, said, <laughs> said in the year 30 B.C. <laughs> he lived from 30 B.C.E. to 10 A.D. He said, if I'm not for myself, who is for me? So we have to take care of ourselves. We have to acknowledge our individuality and our individual creativity and our needs and our work and our suffering and our... We have to... It's not as though when we talk about stepping out of the, the prison of our own internal identity, it doesn't mean we give up on ourselves. It means we actually embrace ourselves very intimately. But he says, he doesn't stop with, if I am not for myself, who is for me? He says, if I am only for myself, then what am I? And then he ends it by saying, if not now, when? So we can spend our whole life postponing, obsessed by, by what happened or what will happen, or we can look around, see our fellow bugs, say, hey, how you doing? Say, nice bowl. Um. See, I get just looking around and my fellow bugs, and I know that this is a, I feel like I'm a one-note Johnny here, but it, it always, it silences me. It, um, and I, I feel, I feel uh, a resonance with you and, and with silence. And how far did I have to travel? And what, what kind of acquisition is going to do that for me? What kind of success? Not that we shouldn't have acquisitions or success, but what our heart longs for is silence. But yet, too busy microtasking. So let's just sit quietly for the last few minutes and enjoy the silence. You don't have to change your posture to do this unless you want to. I think this is from Eckhart Tolle. I've come to recognize that there is one recurring human problem and one core solution. The core problem underlying all seemingly com- all the seemingly complexity of our lives is that we have become dislocated from our own essence and thus move through life feeling separate, contracted, and afraid. The self-forgetting is the core cause of all dissatisfaction, unhappiness, and conflict within ourselves, within our relationships, and ultimately upon the world stage. It need not be. Deeper than our thoughts, our emotions, our struggles, 
The roles we play in life is a ground of being that is peace, love, and freedom itself. Without the need for any particular religious belief, we can learn to ground ourselves in this, discovering a deeper and truer identity. May all beings allow the, the taints of greed and hatred and ignorance to dissolve into silence. May all beings be free, be at ease, be safe, be happy. And may our practice today and every day, our work, everything we do, think, and say, be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings, all our fellow bugs. May all beings be liberated. Thanks again for your practice. Hope to see you again soon. And I want—I just want to make one more plug and to tell all your friends about the opportunity to uh, do the five-week meditation class that's coming up on March 5th. We only have them two or three times a year, sometimes four, but uh, this is an opportunity. And the two women who are leading the the class are very well practiced and uh, will just have really beautiful hearts and will will be really helpful to anyone either you or anyone you know who would be interested in starting from the ground up and uh, learning the about insight meditation and and the teachings of the buddha anyway tell all your friends Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.